Uh, tonight is going to be a little long, I think. Uh, but put this picture in your mind. We are running, runners in a race, right? The Bible says that we are in a race. Uh, you need to prepare, right? You got to train. You got to stretch. You got to work out. You got to eat right. Uh, ultimately, uh, you have a coach who's also preparing you. And what are you pre preparing for? Is it just to run? To say that we ran? Or we're we preparing to win, correct? Like everybody who runs in a race, in fact the Bible says that, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.24, that they run in such a way as to take the prize. Right? So ultimately there's a prize at the end of our journey. And so this, in order to do this, it requires discipline, endurance, perseverance and in fact those are the key words tonight um, as we're going to read through hebrews chapter 12 so if you want to turn there to chapter 12 of hebrews uh, but before we get into chapter 12 i kind of want to give you a little bit of a summary of hebrews chapter 11 um, in fact it's a great chapter it's a very long well not very long but it's too long to read tonight uh, but tonight when you go home, I would encourage you to read it so you have the full background. So I'm going to do my best to give you a summary. Uh, it's referred to as the Hall of Faith, right? Because in that chapter, we are given uh, a lot of names, uh, basically the history of how we became Christians, right? Those who were faithful to the Word of God, um, even though it says they did not understand the things that would be taking place at a later time in history. It says, by faith they overcame. And then verse 39 of Hebrews 11 says, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise from God, having provided something better for us that they should be made perfect apart from us. And so they were faithful to the Word of God, not knowing what was to come, right? God didn't give them the full revelation. And in fact, what the Bible is referring to is the completed work of Jesus Christ, which we have attained, right, because of our faith in Christ. Hopefully each of you here can say that. Uh, but we could not obtain that without their faithfulness. And so that's why it says, that they would be made perfect apart from us, right? Their work plus our faith together is what we're going to see at the end of chapter 12. Um, the Bible calls the mysteries of God. And so with that, let's begin in chapter 12 of Hebrews. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, uh, therefore, the word therefore, right? when you read through the Bible, it's always referring to what was discussed just prior. Uh, and so in reference to chapter 11, therefore, because of the truths, right, that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And like I said, please read it again or, or read it tonight, Hebrews 12. But it mentions the faith of Abraham, 
the faith of Moses, the faith of David, and, and so many more. A lot of details, right, that throughout history that only God could write this. They are witnesses to us. Okay, but also look around the room to your neighbors who you just greeted. We too are witnesses, right? We are witnesses of the completed work of Jesus Christ. We are living witnesses to His salvation, to His reconciliation, to His restoration before God. In fact, the Bible says we are His workmanship, right? Poema in the Bible, in the Greek. And so if they had a great testimony of faith, we also have a great testimony of Jesus Christ, right? We're not done. The race is not over. In fact, once we receive that testimony, the race has just begun. And so if they were faithful to the Lord, who did not know the ultimate promise, who did not inherit the ultimate promise, right? They, they were faithful just to God alone. So how much more should we be faithful to God who have received His completed work of Jesus Christ? Right? That should excite us. We should be excited about that. We should know our history, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We should be out there sharing the gospel to the lost. But as I look around and, and, and even talking with Christians, it seems we fall short. In fact, we all fall short, the Bible says. But Paul points out here the, the reason, right? We're being held down by baggage and sin, which so easily ensnares us. Now, if Christ is in us, we should not be easily ensnared by sin. But today, like I said, in the church, we find ourselves distracted, right? In the world, there's so much to take away our time from Christ. But that's not an excuse. The clock is ticking moving forward. Right? We need to do better as a church. We need to do better individually. We're to allowing too much things to distract us, to get us off course, and to hold us down. Now, how can you run if you're loaded down by so much filth? The Bible says to lay it aside. Right? We're to leave it behind so that we may run with endurance the race that God has for us. How many need endurance tonight? feel tired, you feel weak, right? I know I do. I'm getting older. The world's getting tougher, nastier, darker. The time on the freeway is longer. Lord, I need endurance, right, to, to continue. And so the first step is to put away any baggage. Stop whatever sin you're engaged in. If, we're into, if we are to endure, we need to make better choices in our lives. Right? Get rid of things that weigh you down and hold you back. Again, as training athletes to run a, a, a race, uh, we must make the proper choice, not just between what is good and what is bad. Right? Those are easy choices. But sometimes we need to make the choice what is better versus what is best. Right? Not all choices that we've been making are bad, but they're not necessarily the best choice. God wants us to make the best choice, so that we can win. <clears throat> in fact, Paul said that all things are lawful for me in Christ, but not all things edify me. Right, And that's pretty much what we're talking about. Am I free to take a drink of alcohol? Sure. 
but does it edify me? I can't find one benefit of a drink of alcohol, except maybe to cure a stomachache, right? Paul mentions that in the Bible. Uh, but it's a sip. It's not getting drunk. It's not an entire drink. And so we need to be careful with our choices. Uh, there's a documentary out. Um, I love basketball. It's about the Redeem Team, right? That's what they call them. Uh, for several years, men's Olympic basketball was on top of their game, always winning, uh, winning over every league, every other athlete in the world, uh, until one time they didn't, right? The world caught up to them. The world started playing a different type of game, a faster game, and they started dominating our professional men's basketball league. And so after several losses, they finally got this team together and they invited Kobe Bryant to join that team. Uh, again, this was probably in the middle of Kobe's development as one of the greatest basketball players ever. And so he joined that team, right? But every player that they interviewed always talked about Kobe being separate from everybody else. He didn't engage in their activities for the most part, right? In fact, they talk about going out and partying, going to clubs, having fun, coming back at 3 or 4 in the morning, and then they would have practice at 8 a.m. Invited Kobe, and Kobe said, no, I, I don't do that. Right? I, don't, I don't go out like that. Um, so one time they came back at about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and as they're waiting for the elevator, it opens, and Kobe Bryant's coming out with gym clothes. And they're like, what are you doing? We don't practice till 8. Kobe says, I practice at 4. And they're like, but, but we have practice at 8. He's like, I practice at 4. I eat at 6. I'll see you guys at 8. And so they kind of just questioned him like, man, this guy's weird, right? He, why doesn't he want to go out with us? Why doesn't he want to hang out? But one by one, the guy started catching on because he was separate from everyone else on the basketball court. And so as they saw his physical skills, his basketball knowledge and abilities, they started joining him one by one. Instead of staying out three or four, they started getting up at 4 a.m. with him. There was one guy who said, 4 a.m. is not me, but I joined him at 6 for breakfast, right? And so as he changed the mentality of that team, uh, never forced anybody to do anything, they ultimately came together and won the gold medal again, right? Putting the U.S. Olympic sports back on the map. And so that is a great example of man's effort. But as Christians, we have a greater example to turn to. Right? Verse 2 says we are to look at Jesus and what he did. It says he endured the cross, not joyfully, because we know that he cried in the garden. Let there, if there be any other way, okay? But he was joyful to do it because he knew it would set us free. And so now he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He completed his work. Okay, but again, our work is just beginning. So verse 3 says, consider him, again, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Again, how many feel weary and discouraged in your souls? Okay, personally, I know I do. And why? 
because the world is dark. The world we participate in is evil, right? And it's getting darker and darker. But guess what? That's because I have my eyes focused on what's going on in the world. I need to remind myself that I need to focus on Jesus. And so putting our eyes on Jesus, look what he had to endure. Uh, in fact, if you guys would turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. In Hebrews uh, 12.4, let me read that verse first. It says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So most of us here have not shed blood for the advancement of the gospel. Uh, There are a select few who have. Um, Chapter, again, Hebrews 11 gives us great testimony. But for the most part, none of us have. But here in Matthew 27, verse 27, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. And so this is after already scourging him and beating him almost to death. Think about that, right? He's there in that jail, breathing hard trying to endure the pain and the suffering he just endured, right? His heart was probably pounding, taking deep breaths. And these animals took a crown of thorns and smacked it into his head with the reed. They put the reed in his hand and put a robe over him, right? Wounds, bleeding, put a a robe on him. That's going to get stuck. That's going to stick to his wounds. And then they bowed down and, and knelt. And cried out, Hail, King of the Jews. Now what kind of a heart does that? Right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I can probably take a punch in the face and not retaliate. I can probably take a kick and, and the Lord help me. But the one thing that hurts me the most, they spat on him, spit in his face. I mean, think about that. Somebody's disgusting excrement just spit right in your face. To me, that's more humiliating than getting punched or kicked or beaten. And he did that for us. They mocked him. But he went through all of that for us. So, Lord, forgive us. It says he shed a drop of blood, yet most of us haven't even shed a drop of sweat for the gospel of Christ. Right? And here the expectation says that we would be willing to die for the advancement of the gospel. That's what the apostles did. 
Just about every one of them died for the gospel. And so as a church, we need to become active. Right? The enemy is no longer hiding. He's bold. He's in the open. And we have allowed him to be by our silence. He's after our kids, grandkids, nieces, and nephews. It's time that we wake up and speak up. Right? The Bible says that we are to stand against the devil. Resist him. And he will flee. But it seems sometimes that Christians are hiding and just waiting for Jesus to come. No, we have a a responsibility to do more. Uh, Back in Hebrews 12, verse 5, it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now the word chastening means to correct, to instruct, or to train. Right? So don't despise God's chastening, his training. Right? Don't cry about it. Don't complain. In fact, the proper response is, yes, Lord. What would you want me to do? Right? We need to be listening for his rebuke, for his correction. Don't be discouraged. Right? Sometimes we want to hide and we, we want to disappear. Well, guess what? That causes him now to scourge us. Right? We've all heard that term, whip him into shape. That's kind of what we're referring here to here, right? Uh, Pastor Manny might say a trancaso. Right? Sometimes the God has to do more to get our attention. But that's because we didn't respond properly the first place. So God is willing to do what is necessary to correct us as stubborn donkeys, right? In fact, that would be my testimony, a stubborn donkey. Uh, He's trying to get our attention. He loves us. And again, He wants us to be on that proper path. So don't despise it. Don't get angry. Don't quit. Don't give up. Respond, yes, Lord. Right? And, and sit back and see what he will do. Verse 7 says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as a son. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. And so again, as I said, most of us have a testimony that God in fact had to get a hold of us. Right? He had to chasten us in order for us to wake up. For me, it wasn't fun. It was not a place I wanted to be in. Um, But when I look back now on that time, I would never change it or exchange it for anything in this world. Because, number one, I have evidence that I'm his son. And then number two, he's put me on the proper path. Right? That doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I know where my help come from. And so I've been instructed which way he desires me to go. Right? And as long as I continue on that path, even though I stumble, he's going to be there to support us because he loves us. On the other hand, it is saying that if God has never had to correct you or if you've never felt God speak to you, then maybe it's time to think, am I truly his? 
See, I know for a fact as a father myself, I'm only going to correct and instruct my own kids. Right? My responsibility is not yours. Although sometimes some parents need my help. And so God likewise will only correct his sons. Those who are his daughters. Uh, Verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who have corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Uh, I don't know about you. I know not everybody has had a father in their life, but my father taught me to respect him more out of fear than anything, right? Yet when I look back on it, he gave me the path to salvation. He would not go home until he knew that I knew how to get there. And so, how much more should we subject ourselves to the Father, right? Who only wants good for us. You don't see anywhere in the Bible that says God wants negative for us, wants evil. He wants to hurt us or harm us. Nowhere in the Bible it says that. Everything about him says that he loves you, that he wants good things for you, that he knows the plans that he has for you. It's us who do the evil. And so verse 10, For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but God for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so that's exactly, again, what I'm saying. That time with God did not feel good, right? He showed me exactly who I was. Evil. You think you're good? You're evil. You think you're this? You're not. And so in that moment, I wanted to run and hide. But like David said in the Psalms, there's nowhere I could go to get away from him, right? Again, in that moment, it didn't feel good. But now when I look back, thank you, Lord. Because he wanted me more than I wanted him. And so afterwards, we have peace with God and fruits of righteousness, right? Those who have been trained by it. And so to you parents, train your children. Correct them, scourge them, do not neglect them. Don't pamper them because they won't mature into children of God. They're going to mature into disobedient, disrespectful, protesting brats. In fact, in Timothy, you can find a list of those practices in the last days, evil, right? So God gives discipline and he scourges because he loves us. He wants us on the right path. Out of love, never discipline out of anger or out of fear. Right? If I'm angry with my kid, it doesn't make sense to beat him because all he's going to see is that you're angry at him. It's going to cause division. But you correct him out of love. Right? That's how God chastened us. 
verse 12, <clears throat> it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. That puts an image of my, in my mind, right, of my kids. When it's time to do chores, when it's time to get to work, when it's time to go to bed, what do they get? They get weak knees, right? Oh, why? Oh. Weak knees, their heads wobble, their feet shuffle. No, for us, he says, stop limping around. Stop waiting for his return. Get up. There is work to do. Verse 14. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's a command. It doesn't say, try to pursue peace. It doesn't say, if you can do it, be, pe- be at peace. It's a command, right? So as Christians, our job is to pursue peace with all people. Not argue. Not in- get into debates. Right? We're not to condemn people. That's not our job. We're to love on them. Pursue peace. Find a common ground that you can share the gospel with. Right? They don't want to hear that they're going to hell. I know I didn't want to hear that put up a wall right away, right? You just blew the chance to witness, even if it's true. That's not how God came after us. God came after us peacefully, right? He came after us with his goodness and his grace. And so that agape love, pursue peace and holiness so that we can love the lost. Again, even as Christ loved you or me, Bible says we were his enemies and yet he died for us. So whenever you find yourself angry or or upset at someone, ready to condemn them, we got to remember how God gave you mercy. Right? God didn't condemn me when he corrected me. He gave me mercy. If he would have gave me what I deserved, I would not be here. None of us would. And so with that same grace, we have to approach the lost. He did not condemn you, and we shouldn't be out condemning anyone as long as they have breath, right? Even alcohol breath. God's not done. The Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so whatever state you find a sinner in, a lost one in, our job is to love them, not judge them. It says God so loved the world, right? And if it's God's desire that no one perish, that should be our desire too. Even the most evil person. Verse 15, it says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many have come, become defiled. And so we know that the enemy is always out there. Right? Trying to get us to stumble. He's planting little seeds. And so we're warned against any root of bitterness that may spring up. Uh, immediately, I think that we need to examine ourselves. Right? Make sure that we are not in that state. Because the world 
the flesh, the devil, they're all pulling at us. They're all trying to weigh us down. They're all trying to get into our lives, to get our eyes off of Christ, right? And it's so easily we can become bitter. In fact, almost every argument, especially in the home, comes from our enemy. Putting little doubts, putting little thoughts, putting lies in your head, right? Husbands, that's your wife. Wives, that's your husband. You're supposed to love them no matter what. The Bible says love is kind. Love does not think evil. Anytime you're thinking evil about your husband or your wife, you got to get that out. That's the enemy. Love does not think or speak rudely. So you just can't give up and quit because you don't feel love. Love is an action that you must take. Bible says sometimes love suffers long. You might have to endure with poor decisions, with poor leadership, but your job is to love them, husbands and wives. It says love bears all things. All things. There's nothing that love cannot bear. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. When did God give up on you? So we should never give up on our spouse. Okay, yeah, you made that commitment to them, but you also made that commitment to the Lord. And the Lord was there between you guys. So as Christians, we need to fight to make marriage work. You need to fight to defend your kids. Right? Not fight to destroy your home. Satan will do that without your help. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. Stop and examine yourselves. Examine your home as a father. What is the condition of my home? Am I running it the way God would run it? Or am I running my family away from me? As a wife, do you support your husband? Do you lift him up? Do you edify him before your children? Or do you tear him down, make fun of him, belittle him, and just give him a longer list of stuff to do? It's a, it's a two-way street. So you both need to find that common ground. Verse 16, it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So if you don't know that story, Esau uh, was Jacob's brother, firstborn of the family. Um, He had the birthright being the firstborn, right? That's the tradition. He was the inherit to inherit his father's possessions once his father passed on. But one day he was so hungry and his flesh got the best of him, right? Again, the world, the flesh, and the devil is always looking for a door of opportunity. We can't give that away. And so Jacob said, I'll give you my stew, but you got to give me your birthright. And again, I don't... I've, don't think I've ever been that hungry to give away my birthright or future possessions, but it says it, it. He despised it, like if it was no big thing. Uh, give me that soup. I need it now. Right? We got to be careful when we need something now, because God will give you what you need when it's time. And so, we have become sons of God, daughters of God, by His grace and His mercy. 
right? Don't despise that birthright. Don't take it lightly because it means that Christ gave up his life for you, for me. That should have been us on the cross. That should have been us being spat upon, being scourged with that crown of thorns. But you know what? The Bible says we were not able to pay it. it whatever righteousness we think we have before God, says God sees it as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. And so don't despise what Christ has done for you. Don't take it lightly. Uh, verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, to the blackness and darkness and tempests, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the world should not that the word should not be spoken to them. So did you realize back in the book of Exodus, on God's holy mountain, his voice was audible to his people. He spoke directly to them. But they were so afraid at his voice. They were so afraid, probably because they knew they were sinners, that they asked for him not to speak no more. They asked for him to communicate through Moses. You tell Moses what we should do and we will do it. That's how afraid they were of God. It's kind of sad because they were able to communicate to God at one time, right? Uh, but they, they shut him out. They couldn't uh, stand in his presence. In reality... That is our state. But because of Christ, we get to go boldly before God and speak to Him directly. And so we don't have that same relationship they do. In fact, they had to obey the law, right? The law doesn't save. It only points out that we're sinners. And so verse 20 says, For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. So again, imagine the law said that if you slipped and fell and touched that mountain, you were to be stoned or shot with an arrow. If an animal approached and touched that mountain, same thing. Again, that was the law of God. And their job was to obey. But unfortunately, the law does not save. And that's what we're pointed out in verse 22. It says, But you, us, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That's a lot right there, right? We don't have the law. We are free in Christ to join the company of angels, 
in the heavenly of Jerusalem to join this general assembly, the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Right? Anybody whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. To those who went before us in their faith. Okay? One new covenant in the Christ Jesus. And this was the promise envisioned by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. The Bible says they saw it afar off, yet they did not obtain it. But we get to go before God in grace and mercy. We have been brought together, like I said, in that general assembly of holy beings. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I read that like 10 different times. And there's really no other words to put it into perspective. Just think about that, right? That's The Bible calls it the mysteries of God. Nobody knew this before God revealed it. Nobody could know what the final outcome was. In fact, Paul, who was given a glimpse, said just that. There's no words on earth that could justify what God has shown me. I can only do my best to use the words of man. And so... As a church, I hope tonight this is kind of hitting home, right? We need to wake up. There, the time is getting shorter. Our race is not done. There's not time to sit down and relax. There's a lot of work to do still. We need to repent of our sins, ask God to direct our ways, right? Uh, tonight, that will be part of our prayer. But before that, verse 25 says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. I mean, we get to communicate directly with God, right? You don't think he's going to hold us accountable if he held them accountable back then? Verse 26, it says, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In these last days, God is going to be stirring up both heaven and earth. In fact, the deep seas will be stirred up as well to receive only those who are his. There's going to be a falling away. We've already, we're in the middle of it. And so he blesses faith. And he judges unbelief. Verse 27, it says, Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So again, he's looking for faith, right? It says when God returns, he's going to find anybody who is faithful. So I would just ask you, how is your faith today? Is it unshakable? Do you know that for a fact? If he came back right now, are you going to be right there, right next to him? Again, I pray that we would. I mean, personally, sometimes I wonder, right? Lord, am I doing good enough? That's what we're asking today. Are we doing good enough? Let's take that examination. Verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace 
by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And so there it is right there, guys. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I like how Peter writes that it's uncorruptible and undefiled. Right? Everything we have here on the earth is corruptible and can be defiled. But in heaven, it cannot. It can't even be shaken. Right? Nobody can take that from us. And so it's only reasonable that we serve God with reverence and godly fear. Why? As verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. He's not willing that any should perish, but He will judge those who reject Him. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before You tonight in Your grace and mercy that You provide. Forgive us, Lord, our sins. Strengthen our feeble knees. Wake us up, Lord, to Your Spirit. Fill us up with Your Spirit, Lord. And open our eyes to the lost. No matter our age, Lord, young or old, we have work to do. Go before us, Lord. Make that way, Father, that we may run after Your lead with endurance. For your gospel, Lord, must continue until you return. Or, Lord, you see us home. And so, Father, in Jesus' name we ask that you would just help us, Lord, to run that straight path. That we would obtain that, that crown of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.